You're listening to the Resurgent ATL Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. So good to see everybody this morning. What a, what a great Sunday morning. Man, the worship. Are you guys just, just, just crazy worship? I love what Cody and Julie and this whole team, Stephen, they're building here. Don't you guys love it? Going to become a worship movement in the in the area of Atlanta. It's just so exciting. I'm so pumped about it. Uh, just watching how we started off. Again, I'm reminiscing, but where we started and where we are now, and how much uh, the team has put in to just going after the presence of God, and it's just starting to really have an impact on what we do here. And uh, today, I'm going to be talking, and you know, I kind of. Talked about this a couple weeks ago. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to be doing a, a series, and I don't do series. I mean, it's just one of these things. I'm, I've never thought of myself as a series guy or whatever, but I, I really felt like where we are right now as a church and where we are as a church as a whole, that I really wanted to touch on this subject because it's something that needs to be touched on. And I'm going to be talking today about what it looks like to do church as a family. And uh, that, you know, I know that word can, ugh, it can, everybody has a different perception of what family looks like and what it feels like. And uh, that kind of looks like 70s, doesn't it? Retro, yeah. All right. The 70s show, yeah. <laughs> I guess it, I would be Red Foreman, you know, something like that. What am I going to do with his foot? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> just a joke. Come on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> No, nobody got it, okay, Some, a few people got it. Um, yeah, but what, what does it look like to do church as a family? And you know, first let me preface this, the fact that, you know, for the last decade, or the, let, let's just say the last couple of decades, uh, you know, the church has been known for what it's against instead of what it's for. And it's also been known for, uh, you know, rules and regulations, but not for what it was meant to be known for, which is love. So I kind of want to reflect on this this morning and talk about, you know, God wants his family back, and God wants to redeem the whole idea from uh, what church looking like family again instead of looking like an organization, because it's hard to juggle the two sometimes. We've watched this over the last 30, 40 years. And, uh, you know, and, and I've even learned in the last four years of starting this church, it's so easy to get into like a performance mode. It's so easy to get into a place of, you know, business. It's all business. It's about numbers. It's about this. It's about, you know, whether it's financial or how many people come to the church or this or this or this. It's so easy to get into that, that, that type of a mode versus, hey, what is it that really matters, what is it that really matters to the heart of God? And again, what matters to the heart of God is family. And so I, I want to touch on this. This, this is going to be a, a first part. Next week we'll talk more about kind of the, the, uh, uh, the, uh, the way we can do family in the church. This week what I want to talk about is basically what God's idea about family is, not my idea, because it doesn't really matter what I think. It's really what he thinks. And I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna repeat what he says, and I'm getting what he says from the word, amen, from this written word. And so, you know, first we have to recognize the definition of family is it's so diverse. And for so many people, when you say family, 
it can make you cringe or it can make you have a response that you're, you weren't really sure or you didn't really know you were gonna have that kind of response. Because everybody has had uh, different experiences pertaining to family. And some of them have been good, some of them have been not so good, and some of them have been just flat out really bad. And so many of, many of us grew up with an amazing family uh, that you got to live with, and you got the benefits of that family, and that, those benefits are called inheritance. And it's not just inheritance in the sense of monetary with money, it's the sense of the inheritance of confidence, identity, purpose, significance, love. And those are amazing. I mean, you can't, you can't pay for those. You can't buy those. Those things are imparted to you. They're, they're passed down through identity and you knowing that you're loved and that you're accepted into a group, into a home. But you know, there was many of us, including myself, that grew up in le- a less desirable, desirable atmosphere and you didn't experience a home you ex- with, with love or a place that you felt safe or secure. Uh, it was dysfunctional at best. And whatever you experience, whether it's good or whether it's bad, it sets you up, okay? It sets you up for expectations in any environment that you go into. It just does. You can't help it. Uh, you can't help that it sets up expectations wherever you go because it's a part of who you are. And so what we have to understand, I do, I, I love what Dub, how many of you guys were here for last week for Dub Alexander? Woo, man, what a fireball. You know, I love what Dub said. Uh, he said last week, he said, your pain then becomes the place where you reign. Come on. So wherever it is that you experience the most pain, God can come in, just like this song we sang at the end, and he can redeem it. In the place that you feel that much hurt and that much suffering, God flips it around, he turns it around, and he brings victory in that area for you because you allowed him to bring victory in that area for you. And so I love that he said that. You know, and I, I know for me personally, and my, many of you know my, my story, that I grew up uh, kind of as an orphan and I wasn't raised by my natural parents. So you know, that statement, the place where I had the most pain, God was gonna take me to a place where I, I was reigning because when at that point in my life, I felt so much rejection, neglected and abused and now I stand in a place where I feel loved, I feel accepted, I feel cared for and I feel significant. And that's not being prideful or boastful, that's just giving glory to God because at some point in my life, I didn't feel that way. But you know, now today, there is, I have no need, no, I longer, no longer have any need uh, for to find significance or rely for significance on anybody or anyone else. Now, it's good when I have, you know, people say to me, hey, you know, you're awesome and all this other stuff. But even if I never got anybody to say that to me again or, or speak to my identity, I'm good. Thank you, Randy, appreciate that. Why? Because I know my identity now, and I know that I'm a son. And so I don't have to look to Scott constantly or to my wife constantly or somebody else or Randy constantly to say, hey, am I okay? Am I good? Do you love me? You know, but that's been a process. That's been a journey because so many of us, uh, we come out of environments where we've been beat up and we've been beat down. And, you know, pretty soon if you hear it enough, you start believing it. 
And so what I want to talk about, too, is how we can get from that place where the devil thought he could silence your voice and steal your dreams, your hearts, and your desires and allow Jesus to come in and redeem it now and bring all that insecurity, that lack of, uh, that lack of identity, and that purpose, purposelessness and let it be crushed under the heel of Jesus. Because that's what he wants. That's what he's done. That's what he's done for all of us. He's crushed it under his heel. Y'all are gonna have, excuse me, I'm dry, and I, I'm gonna probably have to take a lot of sips of water. Water break. Yeah. Those Zyrtec really dry you up. <laughs> excuse me. You know, listen, you can... You can be set free from anything that you've experienced that has been not good for you in your life. You can be set free from it. First, you have to understand you have to have an awareness of what God's doing in your life. And you have to be intentional in that area, and you have to go after it. And, uh, you know, I, I remember personally, and, and we'll move into what it looks like to do church as a family, but I remember personally how when I first, before I even got saved, I would react so adversely in every environment I went into because I wanted to be loved. I wanted to be a part of a family. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be celebrated. And um, that was the driving force in my life. And even after I came to the Lord and I had a, an amazing encounter with God where he just really wiped my slate clean and he wiped off this orphan mentality I had in my life and I was, I felt for probably two or three years, I was on cloud nine. Like, I mean, you couldn't knock me off the cloud to, if your life depended on it. But then over the years, I started allowing the opinions of others and I started letting religion creep back, back in and organization creep back in. And all the things that I wasn't supposed to be experiencing from a healthy body of Christ, I started experiencing again. And it just reconfirmed to me, you're really not a son of God, you're an orphan. And your, your, your identity and your significance is based on what you do, not on who you are. And that was the message I was getting when I was in the church. And so I had to learn how to hear from the Lord and how, <laughs> I told somebody this morning, you know, the thing, some of the things that Christians do, uh, it's so easy to do, because I, I did it, was we, we tend to um, deflect and project Meaning God is trying to speak to you about something in your heart to fix, and you don't want to deal with it, so you just bury it down deeper and deeper inside of you, and then you deflect it on or project it onto another person, and you point the finger at the other person, and you say, I'm this way because of you, and you're my problem, and I hurt because you're hurting me. You know, and I, I had something happen like that to me, when I, and this was probably about... 15 years ago, God had brought me onto this journey, and I literally was so done with church, and I think you guys have heard me say this, we literally stepped out of church for, for a couple of seasons because I was so hurt, it hurt my heart, and um, because I, I began to get hard again because I felt rejected so much because it was based, if I didn't work hard, I only accept you, and I only love you when you work hard enough, and when, when you perform, then you're, you're doing pretty good. But as soon as you drop below that level of performance, uh, you've got to earn it again. Well, that's not who the Father is. That's not who God the Father is. But yet, un unfortunately, many of us, and I'm going to be referring not outside of other 
and the reason why I'm doing this is because we're going somewhere. I'm gonna be referring to this arena from the place of the church because this is where we as Christians, we come together and we meet. And so this is the area that needs to get redeemed. And so I'm just sharing this to let you know my story that if it happened to me, I know it's happened to you. And some people just don't talk about it. You know, they, they put it in the closet and they just kind of ignore it. Well, I did that for 20-something years. I ignored it. I just thought, oh, well, if I just keep working harder or I just keep trying to make it, I just do more, then it's gonna, it's gonna change and I'm gonna feel better about myself. I never did. Because guess what? You can't work hard enough. You can't earn anything hard enough. You can't, you, you can't achieve enough to feel inside of you that identity that only he can give you. Man can't give that to you. It was never intended for man. Let me say that. It was never intended for man to give that to you. You were never to be independent from the Father. Okay? You're never to be independent from the Father. Okay, I'm gonna, and I'm bringing, I'm coming back around on that in a minute. But what I was saying was, so I, I was on this journey 20 years, got burnt out, didn't want to go back to church. One of the last churches I was a part of, I left. I was extremely hurt. I had been on staff and just, man, what a mess. And, uh, you know, I wanted to blame everybody else. And so I did blame everybody else. And so when the Lord told me, I want you to go back to this church, I said, you must be out of your mind. Why would you, if you love me, why would you send me back into an environment that I was abused, taken advantage of, and beat down? And God said, if you'll listen to me and you'll start letting me do a work in your heart, I'm gonna turn this whole thing around and I'm gonna teach you how to respect yourself and how to love yourself, and how to honor yourself, and how to set up healthy boundaries. And he said, that person you're pointing the finger at, it's not his fault. And I said, how can you say it's, and then I'm just arguing with God. How can you say it's not his fault? He did this and this, and I just started naming off a whole list of stuff. He said, yes, that's accurate, but you let him do it to you. And you let him do it to you because you didn't feel worthy and because you didn't understand your worth to me as a son. And he said, I'm gonna teach you how to start honoring yourself and loving yourself again and how to see yourself as a valuable son. And you know, when I said yes to that, I started taking ownership. I started taking responsibility for allowing people to treat me sometimes the way that they treated me. And it wasn't because I was a bad person. I mean, for the most part, everybody loved me. But the problem was, I didn't know how to say no. (laughs) And I didn't know how to lay down a healthy boundary. And so when things happened that hurt my heart, I, I didn't know how to process. I didn't know how to communicate. I didn't know how to go and have a healthy and honoring conversation with somebody. I just got mad and blew up and then shoved it way deep down inside and it never got dealt with. This is what we all do in church. We have, we have okay, got really quiet in here. <laughs> you need a pin drop. I'm telling you, this is not gonna be, this is not gonna be fun in some places because it's never fun when we're expected to take ownership of our own life. It's not fun. It's always easy to blame somebody else when things are going wrong, right? Come on. So I had to take ownership of that. And as soon as I started taking ownership for it, I began to understand, hey, God loves me. And he loves me so much that, um, 
you know, he doesn't want me to feel dishonored. He doesn't want me to feel taken advantage of. He and if God doesn't want me to feel this way and he doesn't want me to, then I need to have enough respect and love for myself that I communicate that to other people. I feel like this when you do this and have a conversation with the other person rather than just expecting them to be a mind reader because they're not mind readers. Now, there's, I know we've all been, you know, all of us have placed ourselves in places where we were subjugated to the current rule. And I, again, I'm, I'm specifically talking about churches and the church environment. And let me tell you something. Church hurt is a real thing. You guys know that? I'm, I'm going to read you a statistic that's going to blow your mind. But church hurt is a real thing. And let me tell you how I know it's a real thing because we can look at the statistics of how uh, a church attendance has gone over the last 40 years. So back in the early, and this, this comes out from a research company, Barna Research, but back in the uh, mid-1990s, uh, people that did associate or call themselves believers or Christians or, or some kind of faith in the 1990s, uh, out of all the believers that registered or were part of churches or whatever, over 70% went to churches and affiliated themselves with a church. Okay, this is back in the 1990s. Then by the time the 2000 rolled around, in the year 2000, uh, we started seeing a massive decline, and it went down into 50, uh, 67%, then 50%, and then some just since, night, since 2020 with COVID, it's gone down to 26% of church attendance, of people going to church. Now, some of that is based on fear, some of that's based on, uh, you know, people having preconditioned, I mean, uh, pre-existing conditions health-wise. There's a lot of factors in that. But you going from 56%, 50% down to 26%, there's more to the story than what we're seeing. And what, what we're not seeing is we're seeing the fact that it's church hurt, that people have taken that this time and they've just reassessed things and they've said, you know, I, I, I'm going to church, but I don't feel any better when I go to church. It doesn't do me any good. I, I can just stay home and get what I need from listening to an online service. Let me tell you something. That's not how God intended for you to do life. It's not. Because he, we need each other. We need the body. We need the gifts and the strengths that each one of us carry. And so, um, you know, God is wanting to teach us how to do family with one another in a, in a healthy place and in an honoring place because we don't know how to do that. And I think a lot of it stems from because, again, we've been doing church as, as an organization instead of doing church as a family. And a lot of this is a direct reflection of leadership. It's a direct reflection of people that are currently uh, in positions in churches who need to have an encounter and a transformation with God in the area of Papa Father of Papa God. They need to have a transformation because without that transformation, if there's a place of hurt in their life like there was in mine, you're gonna be projecting the hurt that's on the inside of you. And that's what's happening in a lot of our churches. We have people that are in leadership that are broken, that are hurt. And I'm not calling them out and saying they're horrible people. There's a lot of people that are amazing people. They've got amazing gifts and amazing talents, but what they're missing is their identity. They have found their identity in their title. They have found their identity in the things that they do. They found their identity in how many people are in their church. They find their identity in so many different various places, but the one place 
which is in the Father. If the church is going to rise up in these days ahead of us, which it is, you're going to see that it's going to rise up with people who understand how to do family and how to do it from God's perspective. And, and I'm going to tell you, it's not going to be easy. Because how many of you know when you got a family and you do family, real family, natural family, excluding spiritual family, it's hard. Right? Come on. You guys be honest. It's hard. But the thing with blood is that we never give up on blood. At least we hope we don't. And, and even though it's hard, we keep, we keep pressing in. We keep going after it. Why? Because we have value for family, our family, our immediate family. We have value for those people, our sons, our daughters, our nieces, our grandchildren. Our, we have value for them, and we're going to fight for them. We've got to understand, though, as Christians, we've got to move from that place over into the spiritual realm where we're willing to fight for our spiritual family. Because Jesus actually demonstrated that more than he even demonstrated it with his natural family. And he got called out on it a couple times by people saying, man, your mom and your brothers are out here and you're treating them, I mean, basically, short, you know, this is how people, you're treating them bad. Why aren't they? And he's like, who is my mother and my brother? And everybody's like, did he just say that? It's like, yeah, he did say that. He was trying to model something for the people that when you come into the kingdom, and you come after God the Father, you adopt a whole bigger family. You really do. And if you're not fighting for your spiritual family like you're, you're fighting for your natural family, there's something wrong. I'm just telling you right now. We have got to, we got to get to that point where we say, spiritual family means just as much as natural family. That's a hard thing to grasp our minds around. I'm not even sure I know or understand that to the fullest extent yet. But I know after 56 years of life, I'm closer to it now than I was 40-something years ago. And I understand it a lot more than I did then. So, listen, God's designed for church is family. In the kingdom of heaven, the most important feature is the family of God. And it's always been God's plan, okay, to rule the earth through family. It rolls right out from the very beginning. He's not trying to hide anything. From the very beginning of this word in Genesis, it rolls out that family is the most important thing. And he didn't wait till halfway through the Bible to come and say, oh yeah, family's important. He started out with family, right? Amen? We're, we are designed for family. God said, let us make man in whose image? Our, what, our, our. Can't say aura, our, our. O U R, our image. That's plural. That's plural. So, what does that tell you? Family, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Let's make man in our image. It's just beautiful. He made man in his image, in our image, you know? And it's a, it's a patriarchy. It's a patriarchy. It's not an oppressive patriarchy. We, we see, we experience things in churches. We experience things in other circles. Or we experience things from an unhealthy lifestyle at home or from, and when we hear the word patriarchy or we hear, we hear the, you know, we go in and we see leaders that are not, that aren't fully stepping into the things that they need to be stepping into and they make mistakes and we're at the end, we're on the end of those mistakes. We immediately start getting twisted and turned wrong and we just immediately say that every other experience that we walk into is going to be exactly like the same experience we had where we were before. 
So we got to understand that it's a patriarchy, but it's not an oppressive patriarchy. It's, an ex- it's not exclusive or disempowering. It's not an elitist society. It's not an elitist group of people. It's a patriarchy with a father and a son and the Holy Spirit, and, and they're coming together, and everybody in that group aren't fighting and trying to decide who's going to be boss. I'm the boss. No, the son says, no, I'm not, you're not the boss, I'm the boss. And the Holy Spirit says, no, 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 no. You're not the boss because I'm full of wisdom and I teach and I do all these things that I can do. I'm the boss. No, none of them are fighting for position. None of them are fighting for a role because they are absolutely secure in their identity. They're absolutely secure. And the thing that holds them together is love. Love. Man. That's, that's, uh, that's amazing, isn't it? You know, when, when we strip down the roles in the natural of who's in charge, every single time it's because of fear. Every single time it's because of fear. Um, you know, in, in honor, they give, in honor, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they give place to one another. And around here in our church, and I'm not gonna call it, an organization because we're not modeling an organization. We want to model a church. We want to model a family. We, matter of fact, I mean, we're just now getting to the place where we're doing titles or roles, but it's not because we want to be in control or they want to be in control or somebody else wants to be in control. It's, it's, it's for clarity so that we can be productive and we know what it is, what lane we're supposed to run in, what lane we're good in. It's not to say, hey, I'm, I'm lording my, my position over you. We're a family. And from that position, we're adopting and we're modeling what, what the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are doing. The thing that holds us together is honor and love, not, not, not control. So we've got to understand that the authority of God is not and the family of God is not about control or manipulation. It's about love. It's about honor. It's about uh, inclusive, empowering. That's what we're going after here in this environment is to be empowering for people. Amen? <clears throat> Adam and Eve were commanded. I'm going to read this. I'm going to put my glasses on. Adam and Eve were commanded to multiply. What is the purpose of multiplying unless to create family, right? Uh, Just multiply. Well, why are we multiplying? Well, you're just multiplying because we want you to multiply because we're insecure and we we want our creation to be the best. No, they were modeling family. They said, multiply. Let me read this to you. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Now, that word govern, let me, let me read to you. That word govern, we've said this before, and maybe this is the first time you've heard it, but the government of God is family. That's what it is. And, and what we're seeing here when he says you govern this is, here's the definition for government, the governing body of a nation, state, or community, the system by which a nation, state, or communi- community is governed. So what is happening right here? God is saying to them, okay, I've made you a part of my family. I want you to be fruitful and multiply, create more family. And in that family, I want you to govern. I want you to govern the works of my hands and what I've done. So the family of God in the government of God is based on family. Family. 
It's not based on totalitarianism. It's not based on control. It's not based on manipulation. It's not based on roles. It's based on family from the beginning. Everybody understand that? I know this is really simple for, for in a lot of ways, but I don't, I, we make it really complicated, right? I think we make it complicated. I mean, I don't know about you guys. I don't know how many times I've heard in my lifetime being in, in, in religious circles where I've been told that, hey, the buck stops here. If you disagree with me, if you don't like what I'm doing, if you don't do what I tell you to do, God, there's not gonna be a blessing on your life. There's gonna be a curse on your life. Now, some of them didn't say it that way, and then some of them did say it that way. They were thinking that. Why? Because they were wanting to control. Because they were insecure. Because they were not operating out of the proper identity of being a, a father, of being a part of a family. They were operating out of fear. If I make it inclusive, then that means somebody else might do something better than me. <laughs> am, I, am I only talking to myself? Come on. I'm trying to be real here. We, we got to get, the, the, get through the stuff that we have not been able to talk about to realize that there's a flaw in that. There's a flaw. People are imperfect. They're going to they're gonna make mistakes. They're not going to do the right thing all the time. How are we going to react to that? Are we going to deflect and project, or are we going to take ownership and say, okay, I don't have to stay in this environment if I don't want to. I can leave this environment and go find my tribe, go find my family, find healthy people that model what the kingdom is supposed to look like. What is a healthy, what is a healthy model? Well, it's empowering. It's inclusive, not exclusive, and controlling. I, I love what Bill Johnson said. Bill Johnson says, uh, you know, we're building something and... I want my ceiling to become the next generation's floor. That's what we're going after here. I, listen, what we're creating on this platform, what we're creating with this diverse group of people is I, I don't want to be the guy. I, I never wanted to be the guy. I want to build a family of people that are empowered and that we celebrate and that you, you, you can step into the things that God's called you to do and feel like we're right there with you. Not like we're judging you, feel like that we're, uh, you know, that we th we're frowning on everything you do because we're not, we, it wasn't our idea. Listen, there are going to be times when it, it's not the right season, and, and we're going to have conversations around things like that. Like, we want to celebrate you, but we're not ready to do that yet, but where can we empower you? We can't do that, but we can do something else. Where can we empower you? We're just not there yet, but we want to be there. Does everybody understand that? But in an environment, in a, in, a, in a business or in a, what I call it, I went blank, organization, if it doesn't line up with the organization's plan or it doesn't line up with the organization's vision, they just, hey, you get with the program or you leave. Because it's, it, it's, it's almost like an employee boss situation. The church is not an employee boss situation. It is about fathers and mothers and leaders empowering and, and helping you to tra train you and equipping you for the works of the ministry. This isn't ministry. This is a training place. What I do is training. I, this is not a ministry. I mean, it is a ministry in a sense. The ministry is you going out 
into the other areas of, the, of our city, into the areas of, of the other mountains, into the areas of your influence and ministering the gospel. That's the ministry. That's the ministry. We've, listen, we have built this thing up, this platform, this thing, to a place that is so unbalanced and so unhealthy, it's ridiculous. And I don't want to be a part of that. I'm going to make mistakes. We all make mistakes. But my heart is to see this thing become a place, a launching pad for people into their dreams and into their destinies. That's what I want to see happen. So from the very beginning it rolled out, God said, I want a family. And I'm giving, I'm putting family, I'm resting family on the shoulders of Adam and Eve. I'm resting family on your shoulders. You're governing, you have, the gover- you have the government of family. I'm giving you the ability to take the government of family and govern everything that I've created. That's basically what he was saying. Amen? Amen. So I, I just want to get that, that point across. But we, we know the story too well of Adam and Eve, and we know how they forfeited their dominion and their rule when they chose not to trust God any longer. And, and they sinned. And... Um, you know, God intended Adam and Eve to be powerful. He intended them to remain in a trusting relationship with him. And any time uh, our individuality becomes non-dependent on our relationship with him, we then adopt the same spirit that caused Lucifer to rebel and be kicked out of heaven. Independence is good, but it's not good when it becomes totally independent from God. And that's what happened to Lucifer. God, he was the worship leader in heaven, and, and he was powerful, but it wasn't enough for him. He didn't want to be under a patriarchy. He wanted to be the guy. He said, hey, I, I want to be you. I want to do your job because you suck at it. Sorry, I just said it. I mean, it's what he basically said. <laughs> right? <laughs> got the point. Well, he got the point, too. He got the boot. He got the whole thing. Because they threw him out, God threw him out of heaven because he rebelled and he sinned. And so that same spirit that caused him to rebel begins to work in and work against the family of God. Work against family. You know, I want to be you, you know. But we got to remember honor and love holds this thing together. You know, the fall opened the door to other alternatives other than healthy family. Man no, no longer saw God the Father in all of his goodness. As soon as he sinned, he no longer saw God the Father in all of his goodness. Mankind now could only see God through the lenses of the enemy. And, and we know that because it said, as soon as they sinned, they started, they started walking in what? Fear. Because they knew, oh man, God's gonna judge me now. I'm not even sure I, I mean, this is just me thinking, and I'm not a scholar, but I'm not even sure if, uh, what would have happened if they, they just owed, owned up to their mistakes, and they went up to God and said, hey, we really missed it, but they didn't do that. They went and hid, and then they started, they started seeing God through the lens of a fallen nature. You're a boss. I mean, they believed everything the enemy told them. God knows once you do this, you're going to be just like him. And he's, you know, once you have that ability, he's not going to have any really use for you, and now you're going to be in competition with him. He was saying everything, 
that he experienced when he was in heaven and he got thrown out for the same reason. And now mankind started seeing through those lenses instead of seeing through the lenses of relationship, family, a good God. That's the, that's the lens he started looking through. Because they went and hide. And God's walking just through the cool of the garden and he's calling out to Adam like he didn't know where Adam was. He was giving Adam an opportunity. Adam, where are you? You know, yeah. And they're like, over here. And uh, he's like, what are you doing over there? And they're like, oh, we heard you walking and we're afraid because we're naked. And he's like, naked? Who told you you were naked? Well, it was your wife. It's that woman you gave me. Shh. She ate that piece of fruit, and man, did it open up our eyes to some stuff, and now we're naked, I don't, you know. And so, uh, you know, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. God loved them so much, okay, that even in their sin, God loved them, and he never abandoned them. And even though it hadn't, it, it, Jesus' time had not come into play here yet to redeem all of mankind. You know what God did? He went and killed innocent animals because it says in Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. He went and killed a couple of animals. He took their skins and he covered them, which was a sign of being covered in the blood. And it was, the, it was, it was really a sign of the things to come. And God never left them. Now, he did take them out of the garden. He placed the cherub there to keep them from coming in and eating from the tree of life so they wouldn't live forever because that was a part of the fallen thing. You can't live forever. But he kept in, he kept in relationship with them. And he never abandoned them. And, you know, God already had a plan for redemption of his creation for his family. I want to read in Hebrews. This is, good Lord, where does the time go? Well, let's read this because this is, this is really good. Can you guys put that slide up there with the here so, so people either turn or fall? Okay. I'm, I'm going to read this. It's, it's long, but I think it's really good to hear. And, um, well, first thing up in chapter 2, you don't have to read this, but it just says, uh, this is a warning. It says, uh, listen, be very carefully to, to the truth we have heard or we may drift away from it. It says, be careful. And I think we're in those times. Don't be really careful right now because we can drift away from the truth. And what happens when we drift away, away from the truth? We, we, we fall into deception. <laughs> somebody, put, uh, somebody put a thing on Instagram and it had a picture of Jesus teaching his disciples. And he said, uh, it said, woke Jesus. Just follow my suggestions. If you want to, just follow my suggestions. Woke Jesus is what it said. Listen, that is the narrative we do not want to follow. That's called progressive Christianity, where we believe everything about Jesus except for what the Bible says. Be careful, okay? Woke Jesus ain't got no room in here, okay? Sorry. The truth, the true Jesus has room in here, okay? So just be careful. And furthermore, it is not angels who will control the future world we are talking about. For in one place, Scripture says, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, or a son of man that you should care for him? Yet you made them only a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them authority over all things 
Now, when it says all things, it means you left nothing out. So it says that when he gave authority to Adam and Eve, he left nothing out. He gave them authority over everything. But he says, but we have not yet seen all things put under their authority. What we do see is Jesus, who was given a position a little lower than the angels, and because he suffered the death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone, and God for whom and through whom everything was made chose to bring many children, or let's say sons and daughters, into glory. I think some translations say sons and daughters into glory. And, and it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. Everybody say, we have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. For he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters, and I will praise you among your assembled people. He also said, I will put my trust in him. That is, I and the children God has given me. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood. The son also became flesh and blood. And for only as a human, human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. And only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to fear of dying. Amen. Now, I know that's a lot to take in. But what base, the basics, basis of that is he sent Jesus to redeem family. He did redeem family. He brought many sons and many daughters into glory. That's you and me. We're his kids. We're all related. We're a part of this family. And he sent Jesus to the model, the kind of behavior and mindset he longs to reproduce in us. You know, I, I, th I think it's really interesting, and I'm going to stop here. i got a few more minutes, and I'm just going to have to cut it off when I cut it off. But I think it's really interesting that when Jesus was brought onto the scene and he was revealed to man, he was not revealed as a full-grown man. God could have brought Jesus and brought him down to this earth and just made him appear as a full-grown man. Did you ever think about that? Why did he choose to bring him and, and, and have a virgin give birth to the Son of God? Why did he do that? Because God valued family. He wanted Jesus. We'll see later, but it says that all authority... Prince of Peace, the government shall be on his shoulders. What was that government? Family. Everybody's quiet. That government was family. That government wasn't for him to be a king that exuded his rule over all the nation of Israel. He was bringing family. He was going to step into a place where he was governing and he was bringing family back to the forefront that was lost in the garden. So what, it was so important to God the Father that he brought him back to be raised in family as a child with Joseph and Mary. And then I think it's even more interesting after that once he did hit the age of 12 or 13, which in Jewish culture, we all know, you know, Bob Mitzvah, and what's the other one, what's the female one? Bat, what was it, Bat, Bat Mitzvah. 
that is the time where a, a young woman and a young man in the Jewish culture were seen as transitioning from being children to adults, 12, 13 years old, okay? But this is how they did it. And so that was a transition. They were transitioning out of their father's and mother's homes into having their own home and having their own family. What is crazy to me is that when Jesus stepped out of one family, he stepped right back into another family because it said that Joseph and Mary had went to Jerusalem to observe the Passover. Once they got done with the Passover, they left. They thought Jesus was in the, in the what do you call it, with a bunch of cam- camels and stuff? You know, Yeah, caravan. Yeah. They thought Jesus was in the caravan, and they, they just traveled for two days and didn't even, they thought everything was cool. And then they got home, and they're like, where's Jesus? He ain't here. So they go back to Jerusalem, and you know where they find him? They find him where? In the temple. What was the temple? What did that uh, represent? Thank you, Scott. Come up here and preach this for me. The fa- his father's house. What did he say when they came in? Jesus, oh my goodness, oh my God, Jesus. (laughs) Jesus, why would you scare us like this? Why did you stay in the temple when you knew you were supposed to be with us? You know, you're you're supposed to be with me and your dad. And he said, "Uh, I I was attending, I was doing my father's business. And Joseph's like, boy, you ain't even know what business is. I'm fixing to wear you out. No. You think you're smart because you're God? I got news for you. The father put you under my rule in my house. No. You know what happened? Joseph and Mary knew exactly what was happening. I think it's a beautiful picture of family that when he's transitioning out of Joseph and Mary's house, he's, he, he's aware that he's transitioning into his father's house. You know, and, and later in Matthew, he even teaches the disciples when they said, oh, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And they thought he was gonna do this eloquent thing. And, you know, he starts off with, our father who art in heaven, how be by thy name. He said, our father. How, why did he say that? He said, through his death, his resurrection, and the redemption that he brought through his blood, He brought many, what, sons and daughters into glory. He was was prophesying the future. And the disciples didn't even know it. They didn't get it yet, but they were gonna get it. I'm gonna have to stop there because I've got a lot more stuff and it's gonna, it's gonna lead into some other things. But I want I what the thing I'm the picture I'm trying to paint for you guys here this morning is. Family is not based on what I say. It's not based on what you say. It's not based on my experiences. It's not based on your experiences. It's not based on how bad you've had it or how bad I've had it or even how good you've had it. It's better than we ever expected. Why? Because it's what he says it is. Not what I say it is or what you say it is. It's what, and if, what the problem has been, we got away from what he said. That's the problem. So we need to recenter, refocus, hit the reset button, and understand that we can do this thing. We just have, we're gonna have to do some work and we're gonna have to take ownership and we're gonna have to be, we're gonna have to be fearless in the eyes of change. Because I'm gonna tell you, for years I would not change because I knew I was gonna have to take ownership. And that's why so many leaders and so many people will not change because they know they're gonna have to take ownership. Well, guys, we're, we're living in a time where we got to change. 
we have to change. And I'm not going to settle for anything other than family, period. And it might be ugly. It, it might be messy. It's going to be messy. There ain't no might about it. It's going to be ugly sometimes. It's going to be messy. It's going to be hard. But I tell you, it's worth it. Okay? Everybody stand up. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something just real quick because we, we, we got a long day. <laughs> we got more stuff going, but oh, man. I just encourage you as you leave here today, when you lay down at night, when you spend some time with God, that you just challenge yourself and say, God, is there any area in my life pertaining to the subject of family that needs to be redeemed? Any perception that I have of family that needs to be redeemed. You need to ask him that and get in a place and, and take a pen and a piece of paper or, and write down what he says to you. And that's your homework. Write down what he says. And I guarantee he's going to say something and the Holy Spirit's going to speak through him because every one of us have issues. None of us are perfect. We all have little things that tweak us and and, and trigger us and things that we've had happen to us. But here's the deal. To step into the family and step into the family that God has for us as, as the body of Christ, we have got to get past our hurts. And we've got to get to a place where we forgive quickly. Because if we don't forgive quickly, we're going to open the door to see the Father through the eyes of the enemy instead of the eyes of who he really is. So I just want to encourage you to do that for me is I want you to go home and I want you to ask that question, what lies have I been believing about family? And let's start with that. I think that's a good place to start with and write it down and then start working on it. Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for an opportunity to come and worship you and just be in your presence. And we ask you to just, God, just transform our mind. Uh, help us get in agreement with what your word says to be able to transform uh, there's a good old saying, stinking thinking. We don't want stinking thinking. We want accurate thinking. We want accurate thoughts about you. And we want clarity around what it is that you've done for us and the redemption that you've brought into our life. That God, when you say it's redeemed, it's redeemed. It's not partially redeemed, it's fully redeemed. We, not, we might not be aware that it's fully redeemed, but it's redeemed. And so, Father, I just pray right now that every person in this room would start to walk in a place of, Father, a discovery of what that redemption looks like in each one of their lives. Father, we just speak blessings over this entire congregation. We, we speak blessings over each family. We speak blessings over the heads of these families and over the relatives and those that, uh, that aren't even here today, that, God, you had a plan for man. Kind. You had a plan for him to be a part of family and to rule. And so, Father, we just say right now that we understand that, Father, we have a part to play and, and we have a part to come into agreement with, and we say yes to that. We say yes to family, we say yes to your redemption, and we say yes to change. And, Father, we just thank you for this day, and we celebrate you, and we celebrate uh, the change that has come into our lives. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Amen.